for tuning in. This is episode number 142. I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on this episode today. I pray that it's a blessing. And today I am going to be sharing a teaching that I have recently given uh, titled Devotion and Intimacy. This is really a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And I hope to share uh, both my thoughts and many scriptures regarding devotion and intimacy. Now, these two words, they may be a great deal of your own spiritual experience, or they may be notions that are new to you. Either way, they are of great importance to the Christian's journey and I'm convinced are central to the heart of God and therefore necessary for me to echo until my dying breath. Now, many of us have grown up in religion that says, do this because this is the way it is done, or perhaps do this because if you don't, X, Y, Z will occur. Now, for many, Christianity is expressed through subconscious checked boxes, and disconnected from the expression of a devoted heart that is only connected through intimacy. What if I told you that what you ought and should do could become, by God's grace, something you long for? What if righteousness wasn't about trying hard enough to accomplish, but Rather, an expression, an outflow of your relationship with God through Christ. You see, we live in a church society with so many expressions of what church should be, so many interpretations of what Scripture expects and commands. Each and every one of us battle the self-will. Then, Coat that self-will with religion, and you get a hard candy that provides no nutritional value, has a bitter-tasting core, and breaks teeth when you try to explore its depths. Each and every one of us, as Christians, has been commanded, not suggested, to deny self. It is not about what we want, what you want. It's about what God wants. To be able to follow Jesus requires us to deny ourselves. If you haven't denied yourself, you are following yourself. Some of us want to take up our cross and show others how big our cross is, how beautiful it is, or how bloody our cross is. Relationship with Jesus is not cross-comparing, nor is it self-fulfilling. It is self-denying. Now, what I want to do in this teaching is to ignite something in your interior, in your heart and mind, to devotion and intimacy with God in 
and through Jesus by the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's just have a quick moment of prayer before we begin. Lord, I thank you for your love and your mercy and your goodness. I thank you that no matter how much we desire you or think we desire you, you infinitely, exponentially desire us even more. I thank you that you're patient and willing to engage with us, even in our thick-headedness. I pray that you open our ears to hear your word, take me out of the way, and may you speak to your people. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're able to follow along with me in your Bible, um, that's fantastic. If you are on the go listening to this, just listen. In fact, I would say listening with listening ears and feeling what is being said is, is probably as beneficial as trying to follow along because there is a lot going on. There's a lot going on and there's a lot of movement in this. So if you're in the place where you can and you can pause and think and meditate on some of these things, answer questions for yourself, so to speak, all that stuff, then by all means do so. And and, and feel free to by the nature of these podcast platforms, listen to these teachings more than once. You'll be surprised at what new things you can discover. So we'll just jump in. Uh, Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 1. I'm actually going to read a decent bit of Scripture because it's all important and ties in, and the Word of God is rich and powerful. And so let's do it. So Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised you on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now, take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, 
the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. Now, you may be sitting there wondering, what does Scripture from the Old Testament have to do with devotion and intimacy? You may wonder, how could intimacy be discovered within the context of the Exodus chapter 19, Mount Sinai God? Now, on your own time, Reread Exodus 19. Pay close attention to the caution the people must exercise when approaching God. Notice the thunder, lightning, thick cloud that envelops the mountain. Notice the trembling of the land and the people. This wonderful passage of reading reminds us of the magnitude, the awesomeness, the holiness, and glory of God. He is frightening and wonderful. Notice, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, may the people approach the mountain. The ram's horn sounded the invitation to come approach his presence. Now, when Abraham took Isaac to the region of Moriah on a mountain, what was caught in the thicket before Abraham plunged the knife? A ram. What was that ram caught by in the thicket? His horn. Listen to Psalm 148, 14. And he, God, has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. Also, Psalm 132, 17 and 18. Here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but his head will be adorned with a radiant crown. 
I hope you can see this horn to be speaking of the promised Messiah, Jesus. Notice his head will be adorned with a radiant crown. Many of us want a radiant crown, but without first going through the thorny one, the path that our Lord took, which exalted him, was the lowly one, the servant, the sufferer, the bruised and beaten, for it is only through death that one finds life. Jesus is that horn of our salvation, the way in which we may approach God himself. He is the strength in our weakness. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through him. In verse 3 of Exodus 33, God spoke to Moses to go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But he will not go with them because they are a stiff-necked people and he might destroy them on the way. That should make us feel very sober. Just think to yourself, am I a stiff-necked person? See, God is not pleased by that. Now, what do the people have to do in response to that? God says in verse 5, Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. Do the people obey? Verse 6, So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Horeb in Hebrew means dryness or desolation. They emptied themselves of their worth, made themselves desolate. They humbled themselves before God. They came to God with nothing to put on the table, nothing to say they did or accomplished. Like the king of Nineveh who humbled himself before God in repentance, he said, Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Jonah 3, nine. What is the answer to restore intimacy which may be lost? What is the answer to increase intimacy which may be desired? Humbling ourselves before God, turning from our sin, even if you've lost count of the times that you've done so. For a humble heart and turning to God is irresistible to Him. How do I know? Jesus said it. John 6, 37, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. When you come to Jesus, not yourself, Jesus, you are irresistible to God. Have you ever had a child that did something wrong, or perhaps a pet that did what they were not supposed to? That moment that they come in humility to make amends will begin to melt the anger off of your heart. That gives us just a tiny glimpse of the Father's heart regarding our transition from pride into humility in following Him. Now picking back up at the tent of meeting in Exodus 33, anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to this tent outside the camp, and Moses would go into the tent 
while the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance, while the Lord spoke with Moses. Now notice in verse 10, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. You see, the people or the congregation of people recognized God's presence was present. Now you may say, isn't God always present? Yes, He is always everywhere. But we find many times in biblical examples where God descended or God came down, denoting that there was a change in the immediate manifestation of the presentness of God. The congregation's response to God's arrival was appropriate. They honored the presence of God. God desires worship, not because He is conceited, but because He is great and worthy. The devil in the wilderness wanted Jesus to worship Him. Why? Because worship denies the self and exalts the greater. If Jesus worshipped Satan, he would have established Satan as greater. The devil or Satan seeks self-exaltation. Worship belongs to the greater, not the inferior. What did Jesus tell Satan? Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's Matthew 4.10. But notice the connection there. Worship the Lord and serve him only. Service is connected to worship. Now, let me add another topic or a final thing here while we're on the topic of God's presence. See, the devil has worked hard to spread this offensive idea of seeking God's presence. If the devil can get us to reject desiring God's presence, then he can get us to go through all the motions without the impact. Have you ever been in a church service where it seemed as though God was tangibly moving and working in the midst? Oppositely, have you ever been in a service that has seemed deader and more dry than a piece of driftwood? If we allow the enemy to be successful in toying with our understanding to reject pursuing God's presence because just because God is, quote, already all present, then we are in big trouble, a grave mistake. We will have dead and dry services with little power and impact to those present. We will go through motions and lives will lack transformational encounter that comes from encountering God. Do not get sucked into the trap of rejecting to seek God's presence. Now, when Moses was in the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. This verse, which is in verse 11, deserves much attention and meditation in each of our own quiet times with the Lord. I would encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what does this look like and what are the implications that it can have in your own personal life. 
meeting the Lord face to face as one speaks to a friend. That's powerful. But notice, once Moses would leave and return to the camp, Moses' aide, young Joshua, did not leave the tent. I believe that it was in this place that Joshua was getting a personal experience with God that was his grooming for his eventual leadership of the people. I believe that Joshua was hungry for encountering God. He wasn't satisfied with just watching Moses. He wanted to experience for himself. Remember the Samaritans after the woman was evangelizing the area? They said, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. That's John 4, 42. Many of us fail to make the migration from hearing to knowing because we have lacked the experience of meeting Jesus personally. Our intimacy feels lacking or even non-existent because we've settled for listening to others without hearing or knowing for ourselves. The Greek word we see in the New Testament for the word know is equivalent to the idea that a man would know his wife or a wife would know her husband. There are many layers to this intricacy of knowing beyond just knowing something intellectually in the mind. There is an intimacy inside marriage that can only be known or experienced by way of covenant marriage. Do you hear what I'm saying? A man and wife can marry on paper, but not experience the level of knowing that they are now permitted to by way of covenant. Knowing is a big deal. In fact, Jesus said in John 17, 3, in his priestly prayer, now he says, quote, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus didn't say eternal life is going to heaven. He said it's knowing God. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 22 and 23. He said, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Salvation isn't an end to itself. We've made salvation a noun when it's meant to be an adjective. Let me illustrate this. Imagine you are a cup. You're walking around and telling everyone, I'm a cup, I'm a cup. Well, there's lots of cups. What you should say is, I'm a drinking cup. Rather than, I'm saved and praise God I am and you are, perhaps say, I'm a saved son or saved daughter of God. It's a very subtle shift in thinking, but it's an important one. Salvation isn't a destination. It's a doorway into restored relationship with our creative Father by the shed blood of Jesus through the resurrective power of the Holy Spirit.
Let's reread Exodus 33, 12 through 17 to make my final point. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Moses wants to know who the Lord will send with him. You see, this is a natural question from Moses because remember, the Lord had previously said, I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people. Moses recounted, recounted, he revisited the words of God when he said, quote, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. That gave Moses a boldness to ask of God. When we remember what God has said to us, it will embolden us. This is more than a call to memorize Scripture. It is to remember what God has spoken to us. It's the building of altars of remembrance when God has touched our life. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they did the same thing as well, altars of remembrance, to think and remember what the Lord has done. This boldness gave Moses access to petition God, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Moses, like Solomon, he didn't ask for long life or wealth for himself, nor the death of his enemies, 1 Kings 3.11, but rather to know God. Moses wooed the heart of God. Look at God's response. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Like Solomon, God gave Moses more than he asked for. Not only did he get God's presence, but he also got rest. This isn't sitting in a comfortable chair rest, but it's Hebrews 4 rest, which there's a depth there to plunge in that reality for another time. Last thing that I want you to see in verses 15 and 16 is Moses saying, God, if you don't go with us, don't send us up from here. What else will distinguish us from all the other people on the face of the earth? This is a prayer we all need to be offering to God. Lord, if you are not present among us, what makes us different from any other people group? We hunger for your presence. See that what Moses said pleased the Lord. 
And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. We as a people, both in our local bodies and those represented by all church bodies throughout those listening to this now, we need to have a hunger for God that is both bold and humble. One that takes off our ornamental abilities, our preferences, inclinations, and just says, God, I need your presence to be among me. I need intimacy with you. I deny myself and I hunger for you. You may be thinking, I want intimacy. I want devotion to God, but I don't feel it. Seek him for it until you feel it. And when you stop feeling it, keep seeking until he renews that feeling. Seek him for he is worthy to be sought. What if I told you that whatever church body you're in, that you have an opportunity to steward revival? Not revival necessarily in the sense of Wednesday through Saturday, but revival in the sense of transformed spiritual and physical lives, salvations, a limitless hunger for the things of God. Revival isn't an addendum to our plans. Revival is Jesus receiving the reward of his suffering. An adorned and readied bride. Devotion without intimacy is slavery. And intimacy without devotion is whoredom. Intimacy feeds devotion. And devotion makes room for intimacy. So I want to give an opportunity for those who have heard this and this message has hit the tuning fork of your heart to respond. I want to invite you, even through this podcast media, I want to invite you to create this moment of remembrance, this altar, if you will, not as a sign to anyone around you, but as a sign to God, a declaration to Him in your uncomfortable expression that you long for Him. Let it be a declaration to God that you long to experience intimacy with Him, that you choose Him over all other lovers. You provide the sacrifice and God will provide the fire. Lord, I just thank you for your heart in this message. I thank you for the seeds that it's sowing, that has sown even now and moving forward throughout those who would come to hear this in even years to come. I thank you for your goodness. I pray that you would breathe uh, across this platform that it would reach into the hearts and minds of those that hear it, that it would, that it would be, be thrown across all across the earth, and that you would do a mighty work in their hearts and in their minds to draw them into this place of intimacy and devotion to you. I pray against all futile attempts that have led nowhere in their in their desire, in their longing. And I pray that by your grace and goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would break through the futility, that you would break through 
into their lives and create fruit that lasts and remains, that it would be a proclamation to everyone of your goodness, of your grace, and your kindness. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. If it means Amen. that I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for